Welcome to Adoption Unfiltered, a podcast about examining various viewpoints of lived adoption experiences. Your hosts, Sarah Easterly, Kelsey Vanderbilt-Rainyard, and Lori Holden, occupy three corners of the adoption triad, and we invite you to join us as we cover sensitive and timely issues from the perspectives of an adoptee, a birth parent, and an adoptive parent. Enjoy today's episode. Hi, um, I'm Kelsey Vanderbilt Ranyard. I'm a birth mom and I'm joined by Sarah Easterly. She's an adoptee and Lori Holden, an adoptive mom. And we're continuing our videos and our series today with a topic on adoption and money. Um, we hear pretty often that people, a lot of times, cost is obviously a huge obstacle to adoption. It's a huge problem in adoption. I think there's a lot of corruption that goes on with money um, in general and especially in this field. And then also um, we hear in criticisms of adoption, totally valid. I think we hear people want the money taken out of it. There's a lot of other Western countries that have adoption woven into um, their society like we do. They have made dramatic changes to their adoption field um, and taken the profit piece out where we have not and we are one of the only countries in the world to keep it in and to blow it up as much as we do. So we wanted to touch on this topic today and yeah, uh, I think, um, should I start? I think I've worked in agencies and um, adoption law firms and money, especially as a birth mom, looking at the money piece is always really hard. Um, especially in the beginning, it was always really hard to stomach kind of the, the high costs, the high fees that are being collected for these services. And there's, you know, I think there's a fine line that is often being crossed on when is this paying for a service and when does this paying for a commodity, a good you know, um, and when it's your own child, and I'm sure when you are the child, and when you are adopting the child, it feels uh, all very similar as that we um, are paying for a baby, and, you know, where's the line on that, and what do you, um, how is that for you going through that process, Lori? Well, it's been 20 years. So in those, in that amount of time, everything, the landscape has changed dramatically because of the internet. Um, and I don't think, I think the internet has made connections a little bit, uh, it's facilitated them, but it is at a cost, at a huge cost. So I think um, you can, you can see in the last 20 years, the price of an adoption has gone way up. And I do think when, in the days when I did it, when the internet wasn't quite as involved, the, the, what we paid was more for the services. And when people online or something say, we need to get the money out of adoption, I think what they really mean is we need to get the profit out of adoption because I do think money needs to be there to pay for the service of a home study. We don't wanna not have a home study. We want every parent who is going to welcome a child into their home through adoption to have been vetted in some way, that's crucial. And those people who do that service need to be paid for that service. Um, but it used to be that the agency would kind of market itself 
and it needed to cover those costs to be in the yellow pages or have a web page or something like that. So that when there was a woman who was exploring or choosing to place her baby, she would know this is a local place where I can go. And this is where I can, you know, look at parents, prospective parents who are in my community. Um, but in those days, it wasn't all about showing up in a Google search, clear out in another state um, with a state that has different laws and all of that. And so that has really tacked on. I, I think there's a competitive nature to that for uh, organizations, not always agencies, to get that Google juice to deliver up. And so maybe I know, Kelsey, you've looked into that a lot, but the bottom line to your question is it's gotten exponentially more expensive today to adopt because perhaps of the effect of the internet and the competitive nature that agencies have now. Yeah, for sure. Sarah, what, what, I'm trying to think of how to word this, but really I don't think that there's any like safe way to word it. Like, how does this make you feel um I, and I mean even though you were adopted I'm not gonna out you on your age I don't know how old you are anyways <laughs> 25 <laughs> years ago Sarah <laughs> sure how does it make you feel if because the the adoption cost has gone up so much and it may not have been so crazy when you were born but how I mean you you have a window into how adoptees of today are going to feel about these astronomical costs to their parents paid to bring them home so tell yeah. us i i'm glad you're asking um you know it's interesting just even hearing this conversation this is one of those questions i've never even asked i don't know how much was paid for me um but there was a price paid um and it was a private adoption um at the time that was you know would not have been considered legal now, um, it was a gray market adoption. Um, and, and so I guess the first, the question I have is when we're talking about these astronomical costs, what are we talking about? Like, what is, what is that number? Okay. Um, so I started working in adoption five, five years ago. So back then I was working for an agency that was considered affordable we were about 32 to 38,000 in that range I think I want to say um and that was affordable because the if you looked at the competition in in the the state I was in you had an attorney charging 50 to 75 um and so they were the affordable ones and then you know the whole thing is oh there's the tax credit so that covers half of your adoption expenses at that point so not quite half but like 40 percent, i would say um so then then you're like okay so 32 okay with the tax credit yeah, you're paying for the services, there's the social workers, there's the home study, there's the post-placement services. Um, they had a lot of classes, a lot of education that you could take advantage of. This wasn't like um, you pay this every year. This is a one-time thing. Um, this is paying for the small cost of living expenses that was allowed by the state. And okay, like it made sense to me, but then I, yeah. 
Um, and then now I'm looking at agencies always over 40, always over 40 grand and just a five-year time span. You're always over 40 grand and you're always, you're pushing it. You're always pushing it more and more and more. So you're pushing it up to, you're pushing it up to 50, 60,000. Um, and what I'm seeing a lot of times is, yes, these prices are going up, but these costs are not justifiable. Um, okay, well, Kelsey, thanks for that reality check. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, it's interesting that I've never asked that question. And it, I think it's one of those, I know a lot of adoptees do know that, but I think for me, I, I don't like thinking about like, it's maybe it's maybe I'm still partly in the fog in that it's like that, that reduces me us to commodities. Um, and I get those services that helps to think of the services too. So, I mean, obviously from an adoptee's perspective, um, we want a home study. We want, if adoption is the, um, is like the inevitable and we have to be separated from our families um, for our best interests, then of course we want money going to um, education and a home study to make sure that um, this is a family that's going to be, you know, serving us well. Um, you know, I think that's that's critical. Um, I I don't know that the education is where it needs to be. Um, so I think I you know I question, you know. Um, there are still a lot of people who aren't even, I think we're getting better, but who don't even recognize that adoption comes with a lot of trauma um, and that the adoptee will have lifelong consequences for that. And I think that when you've got um, profits at stake and financial, um, you know, there's a, the financial component, then I think that um, that education might brush that under the table still because um, even just the advocacy work I've been doing for the last few years, uh, I have a lot, of, I feel like I've talked some people out of um, fertility re related decisions when they realize when I'm speaking openly about um, some of the effects. And so that tells me, I don't think that message is real rampant. Um, it is maybe in our community, but outside of our community to people who aren't familiar, I don't know that that's, that people are getting leveled with, of, you know, just so you know, this is going to be really hard. This is a parenting path that is going to be really, really hard. Um, and it's going to be hard because your child is going to have trauma and the effects of trauma. So um, it, I, I guess, you know, I, does that mean the cost of adoption needs to go up? I don't know. I mean, like, but the education needs to be better. I feel like it's, it's, not, um, it's not good enough. And then the other from the other perspective, I think, you know, back to that trauma and the lifelong effects, where is the, you know, the, the, the cost that you just gave? And I, I know where I realize we're not looking at a line item budget here, but I don't think any of that factors in long-term support for the adoptee. So I'm in a, I'm lucky I can, I have insurance and I have a the financial means to cover the marriage therapy and the personal therapy that are required for me as an adoptee. And, and, you know, that's, um, you know, I'm not saying I'm totally the problem, but <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I think 
that's not factored into those. That's that's me, the adoptee, fronting those costs. Um, the research I had to, you know, I the DNA kits that we buy, the DNA testing, or if we have to hire private investigators, um, costs to get our access to our records, those are all things that we personally pay for as adoptees that aren't covered in any of these costs that that you're that you're mentioning um, that agencies are are charging. So if adoption is an adoptee's best interest, then why isn't that factored in? You know, and again, I'm not advocating for a higher cost, but I just it it doesn't feel when I look at the kind of line items, it doesn't feel like it's really about the adoptees. I just wanted to kind of tag onto that some of what the home study is in case from your viewpoints you don't know and also maybe uh, adoptive parents who haven't really explored what the home study means because of the the separation trauma that starts every adoption sarah i think what and, and kelsey you can correct me on this but i think one of the purposes of the home study is to try to minimize more separation so in my home study in my state of colorado we took an actual marriage test because they're testing are the, is there a good likelihood that these people will stay together and there won't be another break? Um, financially, are these people okay? Now we don't have to be rich. And of course, after we pay $60,000, we are not gonna be rich <laughs> at the time. Mine was, by the way, mine 20 years ago was about a quarter of that. So it's risen by that much. I'm hesitant to say this because everything I put out uh, online, I imagine my children watching someday and I wanna make sure that they understand the context and that is not a price tag. It would be kind of like uh, if I had had a biological child selling them the cost of the epidural or something, you know, is, is what we cost pay for you. So um, uh, fi the financial piece, the marriage stability piece, and then just your general health. And tied in with that is an age. Some agencies have an age requirement. And every once in a while online, I'll see somebody say, we're 50, we want to adopt. Uh, do you know any agencies that will take us? And I don't want to make it personal to them. Like you might just be out of luck uh, because statistically, you know, actuarial insurance tables show that you're less likely to be healthy during the life of that child. And we're trying to prevent that child from having another separation, another loss. So those are, I just wanted to you know, outline, those are some of the reasons behind the home study and that very valid um, expense, not a cost, but an expense. And really, I think home studies are actually pretty more on the expensive side in Colorado, where you're at an agency only state. I think that, that um, not that that really matters because, but I do think that Colorado goes more in depth on home studies overall. Um, because typically in other states, home studies are like anywhere from 1500 to 2500. So it's really not this it's one of the most inexpensive uh costs and every state has their own laws on when you get that renewed and that doesn't mean you have to always pay uh, 2500 every single year sometimes they last for three years sometimes an agency will say hey if you need a need a renewal in the next year you pay like half of that or or they have some sort of fee that you um pay just to, and it's not as much, it's not as grueling as the, the first time you get it. Um, 
but really, you know, I mean, homesteads are one of those things you just don't, you don't cut that corner. It is in the corner. It's the meat. <laughs> it's the heart of it, you know? And so, um, but really like these, where these high fees come in is where we're seeing um, in the fee schedules for agencies and other adoption professionals, they're showing um, advertising fees to be a big one. Um, I've seen anywhere from like uh, $5,000 to $25,000 um, fee for your advertising costs for the agency. And that's um, interesting because you see a lot of people going and doing like this self-matching thing now where they want to go advertise themselves online. They can make social media profiles. They, maybe they put up a website, uh, just any kind of, you know, basic digital marketing. Um, it's, you know, it's accessible. So I think like people see, oh, why would I pay $25,000 to an agency for my marketing? When really the agency is marketing the agency because when they use that money, it goes towards like Google and maybe like Facebook ads. It goes towards those things to market the agency so that a mom in need will call the agency. Um, and so I think they see that and they're like, well, they're not really advertising us, we're advertising everybody at that point. Um, and the reason that these costs for Google and stuff have gone up so much is because you have these brokers, these middlemen who are like, hey, come to us instead of going to an agency. We're not licensed, but we can advertise you because they think that's all you need you just need a home study and you need advertising you don't need any education you don't need anything else you just need to be advertised so then they'll charge you twenty thousand dollars they might they might charge you a little more or a little less than what your agency would charge you for the advertising package but then you don't have there's they don't they don't make you go to classes they don't you know what i mean so i think in the eyes of a naive prospective adoptive parent you're like they're not making us do as much stuff they don't have as many rules for us to follow they're not um they're not um telling me I have something to prove as a parent I'm just going to go over there pay the money get the match and be out the door get an attorney later so these brokers are operating with no, very low cost overhead to run their business. You know, they're not paying social workers. They're not, um, they're not obviously doing the home study. They're not sending people out in the field. They're not paying for mileage for their social workers to go and meet with these moms. Half the time, they're not even verifying pregnancies. So there's a very high chance that you pay all this money and this woman's not even pregnant or this woman has, is not, um, when they don't have a social worker walking through this with them, it's very possible that they're not getting the counseling they need to make an informed decision. So then everything goes haywire. Um, there's no like protocol in place on what happens next. Um, Can I so, ask a question, Kelsey, mm -hmm. about those? Um, are they facilitators, consultants? Facilitators, I, I think the most important thing when you are talking about these like brokers and the reason I've started calling them brokers is because people name themselves whatever they want. They're like, oh, I'm an advertiser. I'm a facilitator. I'm a consultant. And it's like, you can say whatever you think you are, but 
your actions are going to dictate what the law says you are. And so, mm -hmm. and so if you say you're a consultant, but you're working with moms and families and you're making matches together and you're, you're doing all the work that an agency would do without a license, then you're a broker. You're brokering the match. And um, a, a potential adoptive parent doesn't know those nuances. And so they right, think they're working right. perhaps with an agency, but they've actually fallen in with a right. broker. Well, so they the think question, they're getting a, a cheaper adoption. They see, oh, I only have to pay $18,000 instead of 30 or 40. So, but then what they don't realize is they're paying for the match. They're not paying to be on with the agency. They're paying for a match. So then if that match falls through, they either don't get that money back at all, or they maybe get back half. They're not so, getting the money back. So then they're racking up their bill over and over again. And these brokers are taking every penny, putting it into Google, manipulating the Google search cost, and the price of adoption is skyrocketing. And that's, that yeah, and that's so <clears throat> predatory for adoptive parents, and they may not even yeah. realize that they're being oh, yeah. predated on. But that makes me think, too, what's going on? How are these brokers filling their pipeline with placing mothers? Like, what are they doing? Because to do they have the money to pay to be on the top spot of every Google page of every Google search. So walk us through how if that you, works. So uh, pay-per-click advertising, Google, Google's in a big lawsuit right now about price fixing anyway. So that's a whole another conversation for another day. But um, Google, you know, sets the price. Say, Back when I was working in an agency years ago, I think the price for to for a mother or for anybody to click on your link went after they searched "Give my baby up for adoption," which was the most expensive click at the time. It was like thirty eight dollars for that click. I bet you it's way more than that now because it's gone up so much. So, because I think I asked about a year ago what that would run. And that was like $60 per click. So if you have 10 moms click on that, you have a budget. So you say, my budget for the month is $600. So you're at the top of the page with your $600. And 10 moms in the month of March click on that link. Your budget's up. You're not appearing on the page anymore. So the thing is, is maybe your small local agency has that budget. But because broker in maybe a different state has a budget of, I've seen one with $80,000 a month, you're not even on the first page with $600. You're not showing up in the search at all. You're not there. So there, you're not getting clicks, you're not getting calls. So then you're requiring your parents to pay in more money for advertising so that you can show up anywhere on the first page. You're not gonna get to your $80,000 unless you're like, a giant agency that's been around for a long time and is like in Texas and I'm not going to name drop but anyways so <laughs> you are not going to be on that page unless you're one of them but you are you might get on the first page if you can compete in your region it's really if they make it so complicated um it's really, a, if you just think of it as a pay to play, that's exactly what it is. And if you are running a business where you don't have to pay people that are licensed, qualified, have to keep up with their education, there's no prerequisites, 
you have, you might be a one man show, a two man show, and you're not providing any real services except for matching, you're taking in tons of money to throw it back out at Google and you're going to be on the first, the first listing every single time. So meanwhile, and then my, you're going to drive the cost up for everyone else. Meanwhile, my agency, which is ethical and local and providing education and providing resources for birth parents and options counseling, um, they don't even get seen when somebody- They're not even on the page. No. This is so depressing. <laughs> Um, and, and frightening because it means the cost of adoption is only going up, up, up. And, and, um, so that the, the agencies who are working, truly working in the child's best interests are suffering and invisible and not being found and, um, may not have the budget. And then again, we still haven't even touched those things that, that the adoptee is going to need. <laughs> this is not to say that all agencies are like suffering because of this, because some of them are taking advantage of it and are just asking for more and more money. And I, no one knows where that's going. I, I saw an agency in Arizona, they're charging like over 60 for every single adoption almost. And they, on their fee schedule, it says that they charge the living expenses money for the mom, which we can get to that later. And then they charge a fee where they tack on 10% of whatever you paid for living expenses is a fee that goes directly to that. What's, what's that? That's nothing. That's pork. Go ahead, Sarah. Well, no, I'm, I actually do think we should talk about let's where I was going to go was, was different. So I think we should talk about that. Um, the birth, the birth parent, let's talk about the cost there and what, yeah. what money goes for that. That's important angle as well. Yeah. Um, I think that's another line where we cross into a territory where, where is it helping her out and where is it coercing, um, making an impossible situation for her to walk away from? Where is it really taking away her choice at the end? Um, Every state sets living expenses laws, just like any other adoption law for domestic, private, independent adoption. Every state makes their own set of statutes. So um, there's no federal blanket law. So everybody's different, um, which creates like a system of manipulation a lot of times because agencies know like, oh, you're in Indiana. Well, they only allow $4,000 in living expenses come to, um, California, I guess, we don't have a limit. We don't have a cap. So you can come here um, and they will pitch it like a vacation. Like come out to sunny California, come out to Arizona, come out to Florida. And um, they do that a lot, actually. They fly women in and they take advantage of those state laws. They take her away from her support system. If you're an agency that's doing shady things or a broker or anybody like that's uh, that's a great strategy for you. <laughs> um, please don't take that advice though. Um, so the living expenses discussion is a big one because you have states with different standards of living, cost of living. Um, you know, where I live in North Carolina, it's very different cost of living than where I was living out in Los Angeles. Um, housing is short everywhere right now too. That's another thing. It's the cost with inflation and um, 
housing shortage and people being kicked out of their places onto the streets, it's like, it's tough because you're put in a really um, hard situation, especially when, you know, moms are calling your agency and like, they're in crisis, they need a place to go. So you want to be able to put them up in, in a, um, a safe place. You want them and their baby to be safe and uh, have food and be able to survive and, and do more than survive. I mean, I think that's the very bare minimum. But when is it too much? When does it go too far? Because now I'm seeing, you know, when I placed in Indiana, the law was 3,000. It's non, now gone up to 4,000. But I do think that's a pretty safe number. Um, you typically, they distribute half of the money to you um, during pregnancy. And then the other half, they're like, oh, well, if you actually place, then we can, that's another thing that's kind of like hanging a carrot in front of her. Um, it's just, it like, on one hand, it makes sense. And on the other hand, it's like, there's a big problem here though. And then, um, Places like Pennsylvania, they have a law where the adoptive parents cannot actually pay the money to the mom. They can't pay for living expenses. So what agencies will do is they'll say, okay, pay $5,000 for living expenses for any adoption. And it goes into a pool and then we're able to help her out as she needs it. Um, I kind of think that's some, the most responsible way that I've seen it done. But then you have places like Florida and you have places like California that you're seeing living expenses that are like 10,000, 15,000. I saw a $19,000 living expenses. That, that's, you've got to outsource for resources, for housing resources. And then a lot of times, like there's, sometimes there's just nothing you can do. You have to have, you have to draw the line somewhere and say, we're not going to sell this baby for $19,000 cash. We're not going to bribe you and barter with you. Um, we have to put our foot down somewhere and say that's enough. Yeah, and I, I would like to like do a, an entire episode on pre-birth expenses at some point, because um, that's a really deep uh, well we could uh, dive into. Um, but what I'm seeing as, as we're talking about this is that because I mean, I'm a, I'm a free market champion. I think the free market has done wonderful things for human advancement, but it is not good for everything. And so this patchwork of states where, where adoption law is state by state, there's no federal regulation, there's no standard federal standardization. And so the free market is um, allowing for the like, like things to flow into the states where it's the least expensive or the least restrictive. And so you see these things like in the Paul Peterson case where um, pregnant women are moved around to whatever stage of their pregnancy is most advantageous for them to be in this state for this and this state to deliver and this state uh, to get through ICPC or whatever, you know, just all of those things because um, we don't have, we're back to money and adoption. We don't have financial and ethical standards across all states. Yeah, you're right, Lori. I think um, a, a big part of pursuing adoption, whether what if whether you're an adoptive parent or, or, or uh, expectant parent, birth parent, you're like being herded around with like a ring in your nose. Because you, you don't, it's such a confusing system. You don't know. A lot of times, it, 
like laws are not written in layman's terms either. So like, even if you look up your state laws, you can still be looking at it like, what does this even mean? And it's written that way on purpose because it's supposed to be confusing. And so it is tough to know who to trust, what you're actually paying for. I guess my best advice to like prospective adoptive parents, if you're looking through an agency's fee schedule, you wanna be looking for justifiable fees, reasonable and justifiable fees. Um, like don't pay a 10% living expense fee. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, there's a lot of stuff. The advertising fee, I would definitely be asking questions. What is this going to? How do you justify this $20,000 advertising fee? How do you break this down and tell me where this money is going is this just going into google or you know are they even using that money to advertise on google because i have seen some agencies kind of give up on that avenue as like we're not going to shell out that kind of money every month that's ridiculous so do they have do they have connections in their community like how are they doing this and is it exploitative or not a lot of times it is Sarah, I just want to know how, if you've got any new thoughts on this, this is a new world for you because you were adopted in the closed adoption era and people weren't matching this way. It was all done behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I'm a maybe overly idealistic wanting to fix things. So I'm like, what do we do? Well, how do we shut down these brokers? <laughs> like, it, um, you know, I just, it, my heart hurts because um, it's, it, it is not in the child's best interest, um, you know, so I think it's, I just, I am just so worried about the adoptees um, in this situation. So when it's all business, um, it just, yeah. And, and I, and I, again, I think a lot of, you know, money is needed. I'm, you know, it's obviously you, you need money to make the world go round. Uh, so money is required, but getting it in the right places and, cleaning up, um, you know, this industry. I mean, it's an industry. And, you know, um, we talked about that in our last episode, but this is when the rose-colored glasses come off and it's like, uh, this, is, this isn't this rainbows, unicorns adoption. And we're, it, it's a win-win for everybody. Like, I think, you know, um, that's not what this is. And so it's, it's difficult to look at. And I guess I, I'm like, how do we work together, all of us, um, to affect change? And I do think, um, you know, Lori, I think, <laughs> as we've talked about it lot, lots of times, adoptive parents ultimately hold the power um, because adoptees are babies in this situation. And certainly, we ado adult adoptees can help with um, lobbying and, um, you know, trying to affect change, which is what we're doing. And Birth parents as well can do that on the other side, but when they're in crisis, they're not in a position of power. So it's adoptive parents, um, you know, those of you who are watching, thank you for listening. And then what, what can be done? Um, you know, I think like you suggested, Kelsey, just asking to see those line items um, and and look at that. But what else? I mean, what else can what else can be done by those who have the ultimate power? because adoptive parents are the customers, right? If we're talking, if this is like, if we're just taking the, if we're talking facts of the industry and then adoptive parents as the customers will be able, customers can create change and, and, um, and, and affect things, right? So what, what do we recommend happens? And I think one of the flaws of this free market 
that we that we still have this in the free market where it's subject to supply and demand, which does commodify a human being. Um, that the free market kind of is based on predicated on um, rational actors. And when adoptive parents have baby fever and they don't know what they don't know, they are not rational actors. They don't, they, they want a baby, they want it fast and they want it, they want it fast first and cheap second. And they'll cut corners if they need to because it's $60,000. Um, they wanna fill their arms and then they'll think because they have the fever. And um, while you have a fever, you can't make rational, long-term decisions that are good for the long-term. Um, so I, don't, I just don't, if we could, I think it needs regulation. I think it needs to be out of, we need to um, somehow modify that free market model, the, the, the freedom to do whatever works. Um, and people don't know what they don't know. So I, I mean, my wish for this particular video would be that somehow it gets SEO'd. I don't know exactly how to do that, but we're gonna try. So that if everybody who was Googling at the very beginning of their journey, whether they're an adoptive parent or a woman who is in an unplanned pregnancy and she's trying to figure out what her options are, I wish they would come here. I wish they would know these things here. I wish they would know how to choose an ethical agency with, with the right services and avoid the brokers. I think another thing that's really hard for a lot of, my audience to typically hear, but it's something that I really believe is true is that some people are not going to adopt. There is a, the, the number of adoptions are declining and it's, it's going to keep continuing that way. Um, and I think that the more that the competition, like it can get vicious at times. And so I think that creates a harmful space when people are competing for human lives. And so I think that there are some people, and I have received messages, I would say in the past year or so, I've received messages from people saying like, you know, we really thought it over. And after listening to you and some other, um, you know, adoptees and, and birth parents and other adoptive parents, we've decided like, we're not going to adopt. So we're gonna find a different way to be a family or find a different way to um, give parental love and somehow, but we're, we're not going to adopt through this system. We're not gonna participate. And I think that that's a difficult thing, but when we talk about, you know, the entitlement of parenthood and, and things that are just harmful um, and, and and no doubt, like hard, because I can't imagine being told like, no, you can't have children. You're this is not the going to be your path in life. I can't imagine, but um, it's kind of just the ugly truth. And some people are not going to bring children home. Um, we want to give advice and, and help and, and tips to people that if they do, they do it the right way. But the fact is, is that it's just not going to happen for everyone. And adoption should be for, first and foremost about finding um, a family for a child and not finding a child for a family. Yeah. To quote Joy, Dr. Joyce Pavo. I always, oh, yeah. wanted, okay. I always Sorry, want to say Joyce. Because, yeah. 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 Kelsey, at the beginning, you mentioned other countries are changing. And when we're speaking about regulation, um, so I think we should just quickly touch on what countries are doing it well, and then also recognize that 
Um, we've been talking about domestic adoption in this conversation for the most part. And when there is a limited supply of, of, of babies for adoption, then that does affect the corruption and the, pro, uh, in, and the practices in other countries and with an international adoption. And that's, that, that demand goes, the demand just other countries can, you know, anyway, that's a whole, like, I could, I feel like I need to hold up Catherine Joyce's The Child Catchers at this point. Um, but I think we should just quickly touch on that too. So I guess, A, what countries are, what countries are, are, are locking down and, and reforming how they do adoption? Um, I don't, I don't know if I can say that there's any country that's like, they're doing a great job or doing well. I think there's flaws in every country's system. And I don't want to sit here and be like, Europe is doing such a better job than us. I know my husband would love it if I said that because he's British, but I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to give him the satisfaction. I think that they've cleaned up a lot. I think they've cleaned up profit first and foremost. Um, but then I think there's other flaws. Like I don't really trust giving it to the state to handle because they really have done a botched job with foster system stuff. And I just don't trust that, that it, they would handle it smoothly <laughs> by any means. Um, but I think there's great things to take from other countries' um, adoption policy. I think there's good takeaways. I think Australia has done a pretty good job. Um, the UK has, has handled it pretty differently, I would say. They, they do handle it all, all through the state. Um, but it, it is a little backwards in a lot of ways, too, of, of um, with like openness and stuff like that. Um, and, and a lot of these countries too, they have really ugly histories with adoption, just like we do. Some are just kind of grotesque um, and, and we're not excused from that. Canada has cleaned up theirs, although they have a very ugly history, especially with like indigenous um, adoptions and um, South Africa has an ugly history as well, but they have cleaned it up. Um, Ireland has cleaned it up. They have a very ugly history, especially with the mother baby home. So yeah, I think, um, and, and you know, I, apologies are so, uh, they seem so like basic to talk about, but apologies like Australia issued an apology to all the mothers and the children that they shipped from each other. Um, but I think the United States doesn't really do apologies. <laughs> at all. So I think um, I think the United States kind of sees apologies as a sign of weakness, but it would really do them a lot of good if they would even just start there as a baseline um, to apologize because I think like reckoning with the, the mistakes and the wrongs done to um, its own people of the past is a great first step to getting on a path of fixing things and mending the system. Um, if we don't acknowledge what's wrong, how can we really begin to fix it um, from a policy level, kind of my philosophy. So yeah, I think, yeah, we can take things from different, and we also all have different cultures. So what works for one country might not work for us, but um, in such a consumerist society that we have in the United States, I think it's a really hard thing for people to look at it and be like, well, how would we do that? And I think um, it, it does a lot of good to look at other people that are getting it a little more right than we are and kind of see what's working for you and what might work for us. So, yeah. 
I think from the adopting per parents perspective, you know, when, when we get off the infertility train, we're told, well, you can just adopt. And there's, and then they, we find out there's nothing just about it. So for parents, for, for prospective parents who are looking to get off the adopt domestically train for all the reasons that we've, we've mentioned, there's nothing easy about, well, we'll just go international or we'll just go through the foster care system or the child welfare system. Each one of those has, um, well, the, the, the whole, the root of things in adoption is it comes from desperation. Everybody comes to it through some sort of need or urgent need, especially like when we're talking about the, the Ukraine right now and Rwanda before it and um, you know, South Korea a while ago and all of those that, that, that uh, Catherine Joyce line, outlines in uh, Child Catchers, which I wanna put in the show notes. Um, so when there's that desperation, that just opens the doors for um, people to take advantage of desperate situations. And so it just requires such a level of vigilance and caution that if you have baby fever, it's really hard to summon that. I think adoption is really unique in that way too, um, as an industry, which it is, um, it's unique in that it has people of desperation coming in from all sides. You have, if you look at it from like a supply demand model, which is disgusting, but it is what it, that's what we have created. You have the supply coming in in a desperate way and the demand coming in in a desperate way. And it just, when, when there's such a, it's like free market space and no enforcement and very little regulation around these practices, it just creates such a huge margin for abuse. Um, and that's what we see. So on that note, <laughs> I think I think like people can easily get bogged down by this conversation. I think it's it is sad, don't get me wrong. I mean it's it, we definitely um, have a lot of work to do. But um there's a new organization coming um, in the coming months uh, that is looking to combat these things, and it is called Adopt Change. Um, it is a branch off of the company I work for called Adopt Match, um, and we're really trying to bring attention to these issues and find solutions through um, the public, through legislation, and through um, best practices with professionals. So stay tuned for Adopt Change because it'll have resources. And um, our aim is, is transparency really and to help the general public understand these issues and, and comprehend them because they are made to be very confusing and we want to educate on those things. Can you say a little bit about Adopt Match too? Yeah, um, Adopt Match uh, was created well, I want to say five years ago, but I could be wrong. <laughs> I didn't work for them five years ago, but um, they were created five, six years ago to kind of combat this very issue, um, the rising cost of adoption and to help people find ethical professionals who are doing, um, who, who can't afford to pay those high fees for advertising and can't show up on the page, but they're doing really great work and they deserve to be seen. Um, we're an app. Uh, women 
who are pregnant can get on our app or on our website to look through the families that are um, are with these ethical partners. We don't facilitate the matches. We just kind of host the space. And when mothers uh, contact us, they get routed to the professional that's in their area that can provide on the ground local support resources, um, stuff like that. So while we're called a dot match, we don't actually match anyone. Um, we just kind of host the space so they can find um, the type of family that they may be looking for and also get paired with an awesome professional at the same time. So from an adoptive parent standpoint, is Adopt Match a place you could go if you're wanting to find an, uh, an approved agency who meets some yeah. requirements? I always that would tell be people to, yeah, I always tell people to start at our website for, and look at our approved partners because we do have approved partners in quite a few states. We both attorneys and agencies. We don't allow unlicensed players to come on our website. We don't allow them to be a part of our network. Um, so yeah. And that's adoptmatch.com or the app is mm -hmm. called adoptmatch. Yep. Okay. Yep. yep. So anything else, ladies? We covered a lot of ground and there's yeah, still so we, much more. <laughs> yeah, we do want to hear. Um, from any of our listeners. And if you wanna drop questions or comments, do that. And we hope to cover any topics that you're interested in in the future. So thanks for listening. Thank you both. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, comment, rate, and share wherever you listen to help others find adoption unfiltered. It's through healthy engagement that we can make the changes needed for all those impacted by adoption. Visit adoptionunfiltered.com for other episodes and more information about our other projects.